another Cash Medi podcast, and today we got a special guest, John Condit from Mad Friars. But before we get to talking to John, let's go through the sponsor, uh, La Jolla Chevron. When in La Jolla, don't forget to visit La Jolla Chevron at Extra Mile Convenience Store at 7475 La Jolla Boulevard, La Jolla, California. All right, so we got Mad Friars, John Condit. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing good. You got a sponsor, man. You're big time. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, just one. We got one, but hey, that's do. awesome. Yeah, a little more better than uh, 5.5. I don't think those assholes got any, do they? <laughs> uh, they're, well, there are pro hat models for Mad Friars. They help us with Oh, that's sponsor. true. That's true. Yeah. So tell people about Mad Friars and how they could uh, get onto the website and how much it is and all that. Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, it's five bucks a month, as uh, Kevin Charity said. Put the coffee down for uh, one day, one day a month, and that'll cover it. If you don't want to do it, you want to try it out. We do a daily recap every day, and the paid content is stuff like we have interviews with players, which we have one with Stephen Wilson. Had an interview with uh, Edwin Rodriguez, where we go over. I'm sure we will into this uh, podcast on Luis Urias's leg kick. Uh, yeah. Interviews with the brass, and there's six of us on the site. All the money goes for one of three things, either our plane fares, rental cars, or hotels. And despite David J's protestations, not one dime goes for Arby's. So uh, <laughs> we appreciate all the support that people have given us and uh, the podcasts and radio shows like you having us on. And So thanks a lot. All right, cool. All right, that's good to hear. So only five bucks, guys. Go out there. They got good stuff. I mean, these guys know what they're talking about. They all watch it on the app or, or go out to the games. They're visiting, you know, these affiliates and, you know, they put their time in and I think they got good stuff over there. So I recommend it. Uh, let's start with the, the draft. I mean, I'm not, you know, football draft, college mm-hmm. football. I, I mean, I could, I could talk that all day. MLB draft. I don't know shit about that, but you what did both. you think? <laughs> oh, okay. So, so you don't have any thoughts on the, on the, Padres draft this year or no I got some thoughts but you know the thing is the difference of why the draft is more difficult for baseball as compared to football and basketball is you know someone like you you watch college football you can kind of comment on who let's say if the Chargers were still back in town who they took in the seventh or eighth pick compared to other guys the baseball draft I can probably I read a lot about it so I can tell you a little bit about the first round picks and then we interview people we interviewed Keith Law, we interviewed uh, Jim Callis, uh, Eric Longenhagen on the site, and I think I'm missing one. Oh, and Baseball America, Carlos Carrazzo. And we got what they said on, on the draft. But as far as us sitting there during the draft and talking about why they took someone in the eighth pick, like, no, we can't do that. We tried to find out as much information, and I think we did a good job if people were at their site about who they took. But to answer your question, yeah, I mean, generally I like the draft because I like what we're seeing from C.J. Abrams right now. Um, Hudson Head, I like how they really this, – this organization as compared to others that we've done, they really emphasize a lot of ceiling, which I like a lot. Yeah, I mean, so far just looking at the box score on Abrams, um, oh, yeah. he's hitting like 450. I mean, he needs to go like another uh, – on the settings on the video game, he needs to put it on a higher level or something. I mean, Jesus. Well, I'll be on the. Yeah, I'll go be on the 
then uh, I'll be out in Tri-Cities in a couple weeks. So I'm hoping he gets promoted there so I can get, get some first-hand looks at him and hopefully uh, ask him some questions in the interview. Yeah, I mean, my uncle lives out there in Arizona. He said he, he saw him, like, I think twice. He says he yeah. looks pretty good. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's just rookie ball. But, look, hitting 450, I mean, that, that looks like a good start. Let's just say that. It's, you know. but Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's video game numbers. So, I'm, okay, I'm just going to go through each system, and we'll talk about a few guys here and there on each system. Got it. You good with that? Okay, so yeah. let's start with – oh, get down, get down. Oh, all right. I was just watching the Potter game. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he hit that ball pretty nice, but all right. All right, so let's start with Fort Wayne. The first thing is Ryan Weathers. I mean, the first couple starts with him, I was very impressed. He was throwing yeah. like 94, 95. Secondary pitches were really nice, and then he had that injury. Now he's throwing like 90, 91. Are you concerned on that, or what are you hearing from your people, or, or you know, anything on that? I was out there in uh, early June, and I was there right when he came back, and I saw the start where he got hit pretty hard. And, you know, that is, you know, I work for the government in D.C. I mean, some of those guys are tighter than CIA in releasing information. Yeah. Um, you know, he he has good quality pitches. He, he has a decent fastball. He might just be getting a little tired. Personally, I thought he could have been in a little bit better shape. He got in better shape in spring than he was last year. He kind of has a little bit of ways to go, in my opinion. Um, he's got kind of a good combination slider or curve that she can spot, a, a really good changeup. Yeah, I don't think it's too much. I mean, it's just a big jump, as we got to remember, for a high school kid going from you know, there to, to pitching in the Midwest League. So, yeah, there's a lot to like about him. Probably Joey Cantillo, who I'm sure is coming up next, was a little bit more impressive when uh, I was out there. Really? Yeah, see, I haven't I haven't seen Cantillo, and I didn't know mm-hmm. much about him. And I've, I've kind of right. – I mean, those games are on the MLB app. I need to watch him. I think I've only – I saw like two or three. In. That great, but – Something he's got to be doing something good because his box numbers are just unbelievable. So what do you, what do you like about him? Well, you know the big thing when I always tell people is like when I first started doing this back in uh, two thousand three two thousand four, what I used to drive guys nuts about. And it took me a long time to get there. Was what was the difference between each level? You tell things. Generally, if you're looking at the short season levels, if you're a pitcher, if you can throw a strikes, you're going to be okay. If you get up to A ball, which is Fort Wayne and like Elsinore, if you can throw strikes in like one half the plate and have a very good changeup, it doesn't have to be great velocity or deception. You're going to be successful. When you get up to the upper levels, double A, you know, and above, you need to be able to put the plate in thirds, have a changeup, and some type of breaking pitch. What Joey Cantillo has is he has a lot of, it's tough to kind of see the ball. He throws about 91, 92, which is an improvement from the years before. He's got an excellent changeup. He's got a good and a decent curve, which he needs to throw more. Now, when I interviewed Cantillo, the thing I found really impressive about him is, one, he's very bright and poised for a 19-year-old. And two, he knows he needs to throw harder. And he talks about getting his backside in more, going up a couple ticks. But, yeah, I mean, for 19, what he's doing there, yeah, I, I like that and keep him there for the full year, let him get stronger, let him kind of work on his mechanics a little bit more. But, yeah, he's, he's someone to watch. Oh, okay, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, going back on 
on weathers. Are you concerned about the, you know, the loss, the velocity dropping down, or you just think it's like a fatigued arm? Is that what you think? It could be both. You know, it could be it could be a little fatigued, and there's other things that, which I don't know. You know, because they're yeah. keeping that pretty quiet. I mean, uh, I know the big bigger thing about him, which is tough, is he's a he's an incredibly talented pitcher. I mean, for a guy that young to be drafted that high, when he pitched in Tennessee, he, you know, I mean, most of us are from the San Diego area. Essentially, his school was like he was pitching for Julian. All right. So he never had any time where someone really could hit him hard, and that was a little bit of a shock. So he's kind of learning how to deal with emotions and kind of take it up a notch. Um, as far as the talent's there, I mean, he's yeah. really good. It just, you know, kind of be calm. I'd look at the good things and the bad things, and, you know, you kind of mention some things which we should keep an eye on, see what the velocity is like next year is beginning of the year cf he's improved he came into camp a little bit better shape and one thing about cantillo is cantillo's 19 and he was drafted in 2017 so he's had a some time to kind of get into the professional baseball routine yeah um one thing on weathers is i think this velocity dropping might actually help him because he it feels like he's using you know the off-speed pitches a lot more yeah it feels good point it feels like he's learning more how to pitch than just, okay, I'm down in low A and I'm throwing 93 to 95 with great location. I mean, those those hitters are going to have trouble with that. So it looks yeah. like he's learning more how to pitch. He had hit a little bit more of that when he came back. They talked about when he came back in spring, he had a much sharper breaking pitch because he used to kind of get by with a fastball and changeup. And I think on a, our friend Donovan's podcast on Friars on the Farm, he made a great point that when they interviewed Cantillo, he said, yeah, I never really needed a changeup. In high school, you throw 88, yeah, you're good, and especially in Hawaii. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no problems with that. So, yeah, I mean, he's something to watch. Um, yeah, there's some other guys in Fort Wayne, which are pretty good. Xavier Edwards, who just got moved up to uh, Elsinore. Hopefully, you'll go up there and see him. He's an interesting guy to watch and uh, a very polished player. Yeah, let's talk about Edwards. Um I was pretty shocked when Keith Law came out with his top 50 rankings to have him. I don't know. I think it was like 46, 47, yeah. something that range. Um, I like, I like uh, Edwards. I like him a lot. I, I thought, uh, I was like I said, I was shocked that Law had him that high. I mean, it seems a little rich for me, but maybe I'm missing something. I mean, he sprays the ball around. I really like that. And his, yeah. speed, that, his speed is... I mean, that's you can't teach speed like that. No. Uh, my concern is, can he hit a little bit for more power? But if you just get on base, I don't, I don't give a shit how you do it. You, you just get on base with that speed. What, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I thought about the same thing as you did. I mean, I'd like you know, one thing that's interesting about him is he kind of grew up as a switch hitter. He said he's been switch hitting since he was five years old. So it's not some guy where they kind of think he can run, they suddenly switch him to the left side and learn how to hit in pro baseball. Um, I'd like to see that. He hits a lot of balls, sprays all around. He talked about his learning on which pitches he can kind of drive on, but when you talk to all the evaluators, they would say, you know, learn to hit first. Then you, they kind of worry about as a as a power yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be challenged really in, in, Cal League, in the Cal League. I think we're going to find out what he is and isn't probably in double-A next year. Yeah, I, think, I guess. 
Yeah, I agree with you on that. All right, let's go to the high A, where they got um, a lot more talent over there. Um, well, we'll go to Gordon in the double A, but uh, Patino, everyone got, most of the people got to see Patino the other day in the futures. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's just, <laughs> he looks really good. I was actually, I don't know if I was totally shocked on uh, Keith Law ranking him. I think he had him around 16. I mean, I thought, yeah. you know, I thought top 30. Yeah, I mean, 16. That's high, man. I mean, you're looking. That's ace material. That's number one, number two starter type of stuff. I mean, his stuff is electric. I mean, he can, he can. Yeah, you know, the fun thing is, is like, you know, which what makes this a lot more fun each year I do it is uh, that when I talk to guys like you and other people on there, I mean, you've seen him pitch, you know, whether in person or on video. And that just makes such a difference as compared to how it was maybe 10 years ago. Like, if you first see what Patino looks like, he, he's not a little guy, but he's about six feet, 190. And you can't believe he can throw that damn hard. I think right. I, I told you last time when I was on here is that when I was in Fort Wayne, I thought the, the scout in front of me, I thought his gun was wrong. Yeah. I thought there's no way he's throwing that. And I went upstairs and the guy on the back, I said, no, that that's where he sits. That he throws that damn hard and he has the change up. He's got the change of pace. And he's a nice kid, but he is... A, He's a little bit like Johnny Cueto, I think, on the mound. He's kind of cocky. I mean, he's he's a fun guy to watch. Um, yeah, in a good I, in a good way. I yeah, like he is. Yeah, he's got that confidence. He's got that like when he was throwing um, to Adele, the guy in the Angels. Uh, he was just like, "Here, hit it! Like, can you hit me?" You know, it wasn't like, "Hey, I'm gonna try to nibble on the corners." It was like, "Dude, I'm pumping this one by you, dude. If you hit it, you hit it." And he he had the confidence and like the swagger of like. You ain't fucking hitting me, dude. <laughs> well, I like it. The thing that's really scary about him is, you know, you, you get he gets up and then he gears that thing up, which is awesome, and then he drops a changeup in you, and you go, "Oh yeah, fuck, that's not, oh, yeah." You know, that is just not right. You know, <laughs> and it, and it's like he kind of has a low delivery, and it kind of rises up on that fastball. So then when he drops a changeup, it's totally the opposite. It's dropping down. So, it, you know, kind of like Kirby Yates. You know, I mean, Yates throws that splitter, but. His Yates's fastball kind of rises up, and I feel like Patino's does that. And then you're dropping an off-speed pitch down. I mean, that's just two totally different pitches. That's just, that's hard to pick it up on. No, and he's another guy who's out of that 2016 international class. And then the thing about that that I find really interesting is some of the guys that signed for lower money. Uh, you know, uh, Keith Luis is one of them. Tuka Peter Marcano, who's doing really well, and Fort Wayne's another one. They've done really well. Other guys that signed for big money have, have not done as well. But that's kind of what you do. You sign about 25, 25 or 30 guys, and you hope like five or six of them hit. And that's what they're doing. That's one of the things, sorry, a little bit of a tangent, is that that has been impressive about A.J. Preller is that, you know, he takes risks. Some of them work. Some of them don't. But he's always kind of swinging. And that's what, I, what you like. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like an NFL draft. If the first yeah. rounder doesn't doesn't work out, it doesn't really matter. If the seventh rounder or sixth rounder is Tom Brady. It's like, oh well, you know, as yeah. long as, as long as someone's working out, I'll double play hopefully. Yeah. Oh damn. All right. Um. So yeah. Um. My guy Tierso Ornelas, dude. What's up with him? I mean, I was really high on him last year, and then this year it's just. It seems like that bat speed is just really slow. What's up with that guy this year? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the trip to Lake Elsinore is coming out. I got to talk to Charity more about that. He, I think Kevin told me they were sending him down to Arizona League just to kind of get his confidence back. Maybe he got a little too high. He may have tried to do a little bit too much, but you aren't the only guy. I mean, in spring training, the Padres were telling how much they loved Kirso, but, you know, he's 19. I mean, he can go and if he performs next year in the Cal League, he's 20 years old. Right, That's right. That's the kind of beauty about coming out so young. It gives guys a chance to see things. Um, you know, he didn't really have a full season last year in Fort Wayne. He kind of got hurt. So he may have been pushed a little too aggressively. It's, it's hard to tell. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's got a good body, good size. I, 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 by all means, I would not give up on him in any way. Okay, good. That's good to hear because I was getting a little worried on him. But like you said, I mean, all these kids basically, or at least most of them that are highly uh, highly rated are 19 down in there. So it's almost like they, like you said, if, if he struggles this year but he bounces back next year, his value's right back to where it should be. Well, that gets kind of interesting. Kind of, you kind of even can go back to the draft of what we talked about is that's the difference when you come out from college. If you come out and you know, you're 21 or 22 and you, know, you start off like in Tri-Cities, the low, low levels, you better really move through quick and you better not make a lot of, you know, setbacks or you're kind of screwed because the minor leagues is so much of it's about an age game. So a lot of these, if you come out early and you're ready to go, that's where a lot of these guys have an advantage. You know, kind of like we talk about Tatis. Tatis has been, you know, I interviewed him when I was in Baltimore. You know, he's been a pro since he's been 16 years old. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing when you think about that. Yeah, he he looks so mature out there and so like ready. Um, oh, God, yes. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Camposuano. I mean, that guy seems like he's really rising up. You know, I mean, he's having a great season. He probably one of the best, you know, uh, prospects in the Padres system. Like as far as having a good. Oh year. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is, that's probably one of the deepest uh, positions that you can talk about. You know, Austin Allen's been pretty good up in El Paso. You know, Torrance has been okay, been been pretty good. And Amarillo, he was the guy that was a Rule 5 pick from about a couple years ago. Campisano is a, a really, probably the best best combination of, um, you know, offense and defense. Though I gotta admit, I was impressed and I, a little biased, I like him a lot. I think Blake Kine is kind of an interesting guy to keep an eye on in Fort Wayne. He's really kind of turned it around. And, um, it's a good system. I mean, you we could possibly see next year when we do our top 20, they could have at least – they might have at least three or four catches. Probably Austin Allen will graduate. I would probably say both. Campisano will definitely be there. I'm not sure. Hunt, Hunt has an outside shot too. Yeah, that, I mean, that's nice. That's one of those positions that it – I mean, it's very hard to find a really good catcher, you know, obviously into the pros. And if you do – I feel it's like almost like a quarterback position. You just feel a lot different about your organization if you could get a good young catcher in there for the next, you know, a, seven to ten years. It's a brutal position, like how much they work. I mean, years ago, I get there's a, a good story is uh, there was a guy, Padres had a number one pick called Mitch Canham years ago, and uh, it was in San Antonio, and you would see this guy, and they would come out, it'd be like, okay, he go lift for like about 90 minutes and have lunch 
Then they'd have like a roving catching instructor who would take a bat from about 30 feet and just feed them like balls in the dirt, which you learn to block. Then he'd take more <laughs> VP. Then he would take infield. And then he would squat for nine innings in a full-on game in San Antonio in, in, July, in August. And I remember talking to Terry Kennedy, who was the manager then. I'd go, well, God, you know, aren't you going to – I mean, how, how can this guy survive? He goes, what are you, by your mid-40s? He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, I'm 56. He would kill both of us, but, you know, he's 21. So, fuck, him. <laughs> he can do this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, I mean, that's such a hard position to play, dude. I, I don't even know how they do it. But, yeah, I'm really impressed with Camasano and – you know, I, I can't wait to see him in Double A because that's where they really—that's really where that, it catches my eye. Because it's like if you can produce in Double A, then then I look at it like okay, now I really think that you could go to the pros. As far as like position players, pitching—you could almost you could tell a little bit more on pitching. Does he have the stuff or not? You know. Well, the big thing that you see in Double A and above on pitching is you, you're going to see that if a guy has that breaking pitch. And also, if the guy can get the fastball to move a little bit. I mean, there's been a lot of guys that I've seen in, in Fort Wayne especially who, you know, have that good changeup and they didn't have the great fastball. And then you always get guys telling you, used to be, oh, Maddox didn't throw 95. And mm-hmm. he just really knows how to pitch. Yeah. And you see him, their ass is handed to him in double. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you got to come up when they got an approach. And they yeah. know how to lay off. They know how to select certain pitches. And that's how our friend H.J. Preller made, I think, a really good point. is, It's it's good to follow all the prospects and all this and be excited about them in the lower levels. When they start performing in double-A, that's when you start looking and thinking where guys can fit. And yeah. Which guys yeah. could possibly move. No, I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. And um, one more guy uh, in single-A that I'd like to talk about is mm-hmm. I think I'm probably one of the highest on him. I don't know why he's not really ranked higher or – talked about more he's Gabriel Arias I mean that guy I love that kid I love his I mean his defense like he could play right now I mean there's no doubt in my mind and then he I mean he couldn't hit major league pitching right now but if he could just hit a little bit if he came if he was a pro and he hit 230 and he hit 12 to 15 home runs which I think he has enough power I mean with his glove I mean that's playable that you bat him seventh eighth who cares with that glove oh what are your thoughts on him they always think Arias is going to hit more than he than he has. I think it has to do more with his approach and kind of going with the pitch more. But yeah, in terms of his in terms of his defense, yeah, I mean, I you know, I've seen him play in spring. I saw him play about a four game set in Fort Wayne last year. I'm sure I'll see him play this year in a mountain like Elsinore. Yeah, yeah, his defense is you got to go see it. <laughs> that, 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 I mean. He is probably the best defender. I mean, I think he is someone who, if I had to guess, when we're looking at Tatis and Machado, I think he is someone that I would be really interested in if I was another team. I would right. definitely right. be focusing in on him. Yeah, the big thing is, you know, can he hit? I mean, like we talked about this last time I was on, you know, we watched Javier Guerra for years. Javier Guerra is a great defender defensive player. He just couldn't hit. Right. I think Arias is a better hitter than Garrett is. He has a much I, approach. But yeah, I, we still kind of got to see him. I mean, yeah. I said, he's struggling a little bit in the Cow Lake. I, I worry a little bit when he goes up and, and faces some of those good breaking pitches in double-A. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, he's only 19 too, right? So, I mean, he's right. kind of got two years to kind of prove it. Like, 
another year maybe. Yeah. You know, even if he struggles next year, if he's up in double-A next year and he kind of struggles, he can probably have one more year to kind of prove himself. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything on Garrett? Like, is he pitching? Uh, is he back? Is he back Garrett was up. Garrett was up the other night. I mean, you know, he still can really light it up. I mean, I think uh, Ben Davey, one of our writers, pointed out that he, he still has some trouble with his command. But, um, you know, the best story on Garrett still, like when David Jay saw him the first time in spring, and he goes out on the mound for the first time and hits 100 like three times in a 10-pitch sequence. Like, you know, hey, we can work with this. You know, let's let, – yeah, I mean, he's just learning how to pitch um, – only thing is they're gonna have to make a decision with him on the 40 man pretty much coming up so uh a lot to dream on it's it's hard to say uh without me just talking out my ass about something that <laughs> i can't really do it's yeah yeah something I mean, to watch yeah, yeah definitely there's something yeah keep an eye on um anything uh i know you guys don't get much information not because it's your guys' fault because they just don't give him out. Anything on Mason Thompson and his injury? Because I really like him when he pitches. He just never fucking pitches. Pretty much now as much as you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I right. think he's still covering. I think I'll talk with Kevin. He might have heard more because he's around like Elsner more than I am. I like Mason too. I mean, he was a guy they were really excited about when they took in 2016. And if you, you know, get close to him, he's like six five and a half or six six. And when he's on, it is a lot of fun. And I thought, I thought this year, uh, from what I saw in spring, he was going to be really good. Yeah, he. Uh, I think it was it was really early in the season. Like he pitched like three first three innings. I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's just throwing like 95, 96 on the corners. Right. And he's dropping a breaking ball, either slider, curve. I couldn't really tell. And I was like, this guy's a stud. And then he kind of lost control in the next like fourth inning or something. But I was like, all right, whatever. He's young. And it's just like he just never pitches. Like he's always hurt. And it's just it's kind of one of those guys that it's like what could have been. Um, let's, let's well, the guy that got hurt, the guy that got hurt, and I think I'm, I'm sorry, you're probably going to get to him next that I haven't seen in a while. We got an article ready, queued up Lawson. for him, but it's Lawson. Yeah, Reggie Lawson. Lawson I, like more I was going to get to him eventually, yeah. Yeah, Lawson I like a little bit more. And Lawson, man, when he is, when he is dropping his changeup, that is – that is something yeah. that is impressive to watch. That's like you were saying on uh, Arius. If I was another team, I'd be like, hey, throwing Lawson into a deal, you know? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're going to you know, there's gonna have to be some of these guys that are moved. But, you know, I, I guess I, the interesting thing, I was telling somebody uh, right after I got done with your podcast, because I live in D.C. and uh, got a bunch of friends that are baseball fans, and I was talking about it. And I said, the interesting thing about – Padre fans now is that because people went through all this stuff after 2015, yeah, yeah, off and acquiring prospects, most of the fans, especially on Twitter, I mean, they follow all these guys. I mean, I was yeah. telling them like they can name all guys like you and I are normal people. I mean, they can name all these players that are coming up and and what they're doing. And yeah, I have friends that are fans of Nationals, Yankees, or Phillies, they can barely name the minor league affiliates they have. And in right. fact. When I used to go on 1090, the first time I think it was 2005, I had to do a pre-phone call with these guys and tell them, like, okay, they have a double-A team in <laughs> They got this team here. <laughs> and all the questions literally were like, uh, hey, uh, what do you see in double-A? 
I mean, that would be just an ugly scene. So, uh, <laughs> him, him and that, uh, there's a couple other guys, Carlos on Twitter. Like, so oh, Carlos is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I, I was going to wait till later, but I'll just ask it now. Um, who are, like, if they're going to trade for a guy like Senegar, who are some people, who are the few guys in the minor league system you're like, no fucking way I'm trading them? And then who are guys where you're, where you're like, yeah, I, I like him a lot more. I wouldn't want to trade him. Like, for me, it would be Arias and Capasuano. Like, I'm like, eh, I don't want to trade those guys. Obviously, I don't want to trade Gord, but I'm saying, like... Oh, they're not trading Gord. Yeah. No, I understand that. I understand that. But do you know what I mean? Like, how I'm sure. saying the question, like, kind of like, yeah. I, I don't know if I would give up on that guy so soon, is what I'm kind of getting at. So who are some of the guys? Obviously, I think you would agree with me, Gore. And um, I don't want to give up Patino either. And everyone else, I would kind of be like, if I'm getting, if I feel like I'm getting over the top, then then I would go for it. But who are, who are some of the guys that you're like, I don't want to get rid of that guy? You know, that's a really good question, and I think that the difficulty in that is you got to kind of see who you're getting back. And I mean, in terms of just, I think you can identify the guys who are not trading. I think it'd be Gore. I, I wouldn't trade Patino. I think in the right deal, Patino or Morahone, they, they might, but I don't think they want to. I think as a good rule of thumb is if you can look at one guy, whether it's a pitcher or or a position player, and you can say that that's a guy that I can see fitting in on the team that I see being going forward to being successful. Like I was telling Danny and, and Eric, like, I like Luis Arias. I think Arias is the best second baseman. I always thought how he profiled it was a guy that's going to be a really strong defender, good OBP. He's not going to be Jose Altuve, but that's who he is. If they moved Arias, which and we can get into El Paso a little bit, he looked really good playing shortstop too, which was interesting. They got a lot of talent. We just talked about the bottom. They got Owen Miller and Amarillo who's playing really well. They got Xavier Edwards. They got C.J. Abrams. It's not like trading Luis Urias would not be like trading Fernando Tatis. Would I trade him? You know, probably not. I don't know enough about Syndergaard other than just, you know, what I see on TV with him. I saw him once pitch live uh, in El Paso with Las Vegas, and I've seen him pitch a bunch of times. But, you know, to make a deal like that, you got to really look and know who you're getting and how much control. I would not trade any of those guys for only – a rental or a year. Like I think, oh, yeah. I think yeah. okay, Strowman is a guy that I could see. I could possibly see a guy like Josh Naylor going over there, or uh, yeah, maybe Edward Oliveras who's doing well, or Luis Torrens because I think they're going to have to clear some room on the forty man, which we, yeah. which every fan knows whether you like it or not. They just got too many good guys they got to protect. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as Syndergaard goes, I mean, like you said, I wouldn't trade any of the guys that are, like, difference makers. He, he worries me, Syndergaard, with injuries. He worries me that maybe he's not as good. Yeah. But if, but if you're going to buy low on him, and I feel like I feel like the Mets are selling low on him because I think if they would have sold him in the offseason, they would have been selling high because I think he was coming off a good season. Um, 
and now you're looking at the Mets are like in a shitty situation where they went for it. I don't know why. And they made a dumb trade with the Cano and Diaz and they kind of got rid of their minor league system a little bit. Yep. And now it's like, all right, all we really can get back is Zach Wheeler. We could probably get, you know, a decent prospect or two for him, but he's only, he's going to be a free agent next year. So you don't, he's not going to get too much for him. And then Syndergaard, he's got two and a half years of control. So you should be able to get a, you know, a pretty good package for him, but you're, I feel like you're selling low. And the guy's got a 4.68 ERA. I know people tell me ERA doesn't matter, but let's, let's say, let's say, um, you know, his stuff and he's been unlucky, you know, mm-hmm. and his ERA is three. Let's just take a whole, a whole runoff. 3.68 ERA isn't that great, you know? Like, right. I'm not giving up fucking guys in the top 50. You know, maybe I'm, maybe Urias and, a friend, another fringe guy, but that's it. I'm not fucking giving up two, two guys in the top hundred with one of them in the top fifty prospects. No way. Yeah, I think you know you just invested so much in these guys coming up, and I said you know we'd have to look at, at what we exactly are getting in Syndergaard, and also you know you kind of make the one thing that's interesting when the Astros won and the Cubs won, each way was a different place. You know, you might not have to make a trade. You know, what I mean, right? Maybe not. It depends who's coming back. I mean, I think Stroman would fit. I think if it was a deal with like Naylor or Oliveras and Torrance, I would do that, but that probably wouldn't be enough to get. But then again, on Stroman, you're just getting him for the rest of the year right. and maybe right. a little bit. So I don't know. I mean, the hypothetical trade things, I think I think people on all levels just talk out their ass. And it's fine if you and I are sitting here talking about that. I'm not going to write anything to have my name down going, oh, my sources tell me to your sources. <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I do want to add on to that is I feel like it's almost like poker. Like you, you got the most chips right now. I feel like the Padres, you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to go all in on something. You could slow play it and fucking, you know, I mean, yeah, if you see an opportunity like the Mets and they're low on chips and they, you feel like they went all in because they're about to get, you know, uh, they're about to be out, and you feel like, yeah, they don't have anything, and you want to go in on Syndergaard because you feel like you're selling low there, then I would go for it. But if they're trying to get like, we're trying to get in March, I'd be like, fuck you. Get out of here, dude. You, well, the he, thing – His value is – Yeah, I think that all of us understand that's different because baseball is such – you know, you kind of follow your own team, and it's tough to really focus on everything else. But, you know, all of us that are Padres fans, I mean – we kind of, it's like, you know, we crapped out in 2015. They stripped it down. They built all these guys up. And now they're they're coming up to where, you know, the good stuff is coming, rewards. So the last thing you want to do is throw away all your hard work on all these guys. So, I mean, yeah, if it's the right deal, I mean, you got to really look into what it is. It's tough to just talk about it in the, the hypothetical. One thing about Arias that is different is... I mean, I think in 2017 when I saw him in San Antonio, I, I thought he could kind of occasionally play shortstop. Maybe not, definitely not on a regular basis. I was a very good second baseman. You know, his manager, Evan Rodriguez, said he's probably the best defensive shortstop right now in the PCL. So if you wanted, if you wanted to make a trade and center it around Urias, which, you know, I'm not saying they should, but I'm saying if they did, 
that's about as valuable a piece as you can get. A triple-A ready shortstop with a good offensive profile. That that gets a lot of people's attention. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, he's yeah, he's definitely got more value if he can play, you know, shortstop. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah. And he's been playing great shortstop. I mean, yes. So, I've been impressed with that. I'm impressed with his arm. Like, you know, he's oh. he, he, small. Like, he, he, his range is great. Like, he'll go in the hole on the third base side and he'll throw it. I'm like, no chance. And if I can get there, I'm like, whoa. I'm like, wow, that's pretty good, dude. Um, that was his biggest problem when he was in San Antonio. That's when something that he's gotten a lot better than. And that's why uh, I think one time I went on Quintelligence thing and uh, Marmor was trying to draw this straight line between, well, if someone hits like here and, you know, in uh, rookie league, he's going to, I project he should do this double uh, A. And I said, you know, you can't do that because people change, people get better, and, and you know, the, the different factors come in. He goes, yeah, but everyone who d- is a star was really good in rookie ball, and you can even say they were really good in little league. I said, well, you know, David Jay and I were stars as 12-year-olds in Little League. We did not become <laughs> Major League Baseball players. I mean, <laughs> just there's different factors that go into it. You know, Reyes really worked. At his defense at short, he got a lot better. And uh, I mean, look at, Ren- fun about look at Renfro. You know, oh, he looks like a totally different defensive player this year. Um, yeah. Let's go back to the double-A. Let's, let's talk about a few guys. Um, let's talk about Moron. What is – what? Do you understand why they're only pitching him two innings? Is it just to be like, we want to get some innings out of you because he's had so many like little injuries that have kind of, I don't know, they just want to keep going with him with only, they're worried that if they throw him five innings and he's probably going to get re-injured or something, or what's the deal with that? Yeah, that's the best I can tell. When I was out there and I, I interviewed him, he was saying that he had had some shoulder stiffness, and I guess that kind of comes back or on. I'm not sure exactly why they're going just two innings. I think uh, we got Marcus out there who saw Gore's performance tonight, so he's going to get some more information from us on that. As far as when Morahone's on, though, I mean, I know people are frustrated he's not throwing like seven, six or seven innings at a time, and I fully understand that. But when Morahone's on, I mean, Morahone can sit between oh, about yeah. 94 and 97. And what really is a killer about him is he's got a – good curve which looks just like it's coming out as a fastball and he has a change up and then he has a knuckle curve yeah. which is just not fair so I mean Morahone is not someone I always read all the stuff where oh I'd throw Morahone in this deal I mean the Padres paid 22 million dollars for Morahone I, I would if it were me <laughs> it was my money I'd kind of want to see a little bit what might be there the worst thing you could possibly have is you throw him in and uh trade piece and then suddenly the guy's like a number two two pitcher you know i when you ever you talk to the Padres development guys if gore is number one a morahone's one b i mean he, yeah he got that much stuff so no, i agree I, with you I mean, his I stuff, yeah his yeah. stuff is, is you know that that looks like a number one number two pitcher i mean he's, like you said he's he's like 95 97 i mean it's just his demeanor a little bit but he's only 20 years old like I think people yeah. forget, like, shit, dude. Like, the Padres system is not like everyone else's system. Most of these guys are, are in double A, are probably 22, 23, that are, like, knocking on the door. This guy's 20, dude. So if he has, like, a, I don't know, if you say, well, he didn't pitch that many innings in double A this year. Well, if he comes next year and he pitches, 
you know, 100 innings in double A and dominates, then he's right where he should be. Yeah, yeah, you're fine with him. Did a couple of those guys. He was a big guy they paid a lot of money for in 2016. Onya's kind of been out still. When Onya's healthy, he was actually, he was sad, he was actually playing pretty well uh, when I saw him out there. The guy who, the guy who's interesting is, is Owen Miller, who's kind of an unheralded draft pick from last year. And, I mean, he moved up to double A really quick. So he, he's kind of somebody to watch. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually started paying attention a lot more to him. I mean, he, he makes really good contact. He goes the other way. He, he looks like he definitely hit him. That, that doesn't seem to be a problem at all for him. No, the thing about Miller is, I mean, and again, I mean, I got a feeling Danny and Carlos are going to put out a hitman on me for talking about him like this. Is that because <laughs> it's not hurrious? Yeah, he can hit. Every <laughs> place he's been, he's hit. And when you watch him play, he was a he was a really good high school basketball player. He just has a really kind of relaxed approach. And Urias and Miller are kind of, in some ways, the same type of player. I mean. They both make a lot of contact. They both spray the ball to all fields. Neither one are going to be big power hitters. They both play shortstop. And, you know, Miller looks kind of like a pasty white guy from Wisconsin and suddenly he can move. <laughs> I mean, he can, he can make plays. I mean, he is uh, he's someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm impressed with him this year, definitely. Because once they get to double A and they're a position player, like I said earlier, like that's when I really start paying attention. If you can hit double A pitching, then I feel like – you have a real good shot in the pros. Um, oh yeah, let's let's talk about Michelle Baez. I know um, I've heard you a few times on some of the podcasts mm-hmm. that I've listened to where you still like him as a starter. I really like him as a reliever, but can you give me your thoughts on him or you see him as a starter still? You know, I haven't seen him enough as a reliever. I would go with you on that. The only thing I would just have a, have a little bit of a trouble with on a reliever, and this doesn't always hold true. A lot of times, bigger guys like that, it takes a little longer to warm up. And uh, it just, it just, I don't know how consistent they can be. I always think the best relievers are guys like former shortstops who can come in and right then it's a strike. But, you know, he has more value as a starter. But then again, I'm not exactly sure what his injuries may or may not be, um, which could keep him from that. I think both him and, and Morhone are kind of really interesting questions. But, uh, I know Bias can have a bad back occasionally, which can kind of screw him up. But yeah, he's someone definitely to watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, he pitched. He pitched again. He he came in after Gore today, and I just I just love his stuff. I mean, he's oh, got yeah. got starter stuff. It's not like he's yes. just one or two pitches um, <laughs> pitches. And but I just I don't know for some reason I think it's more of I think the Padres need more of a reliever, in my opinion, because I feel like they got they're going to have enough starters by next year. So I think my yeah. mind is more of, well, let's just put him as as a you know seventh eighth inning guy. And I mean, shit, dude, I'm because last you can always year, move back. Right, right, right. You can do <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the so, thing I always like about Baez, one last thing is what I love about him is he's about six seven, and he throws straight over the top. So if you're trying to hit that pitch, it's coming at such an angle, like not only is it hard, and you can't you can't square it up. <laughs> yeah, he yeah he throws it and he throws it uh, he throws it high where those guys just yeah like yeah. then he'll he'll drop a curveball or a changeup and it's just like dude you got no chance and I I like him I like him a lot I feel like 
the only the only concern is someone pointed this out to me, and I, I didn't even realize it. Is he doesn't go back to back games, and I think they're saying that he always has like three days off. I mean, you can't do that if you're going to the pros. You can't be like, hey, I pitched in right. one inning, and then I need three days off. I mean, you can't do that. But hopefully next year that won't be a problem. And I, I'm sure probably won't. I'm sure they're just being real cautious with that because of last year with his injuries. Yeah, we'll get some more information from Marcus out there. He was just out in Frisco watching stuff go, so hopefully we'll have some more, more stuff. Those are good questions. Yeah, I, I'm not sure really why that's happening. Um, now that we're in double-A, let's talk about Gore because I watched him tonight, and it just – his change-up, <laughs> ball, and just – he was – I mean, I didn't see one hard-hit ball. Some guy was saying to me, like, oh, the one he – guy hit the center field was – I mean, the guy hit it. I mean, he hit it decent. I mean, whatever. He hit it right to the center fielder. The guy moved one or two steps to his left. I didn't see nothing was close to the warning track. I didn't see any hard ground balls. Everything was soft to the third baseman. Everything was routine fly balls in the infield. I was really impressed because because a lot of it, even the announcers, like every time, he he would fall behind on the count like two and zero on a few batters, and then he would drop like a curveball, and the announcers were like, "Wow, this kid's twenty years old, and he's." Behind the count two and zero, and he's dropping this curveball in there. I mean, what what do you see out of Gore, and how soon are we going to see this guy? I mean, I'm hoping opening day next year. Yeah, roster. I don't. That's what I think. I think he's in the starting rotation. If if he, barring he gets hurt, knocked on wood, or something. Yeah, yeah. I think he's there. The thing about Gore, which is really impressive, is you know one, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's got four pitches, but when you talk to him, that's what mentally is what impresses you most talk to him off the field he's a laid-back north carolina guy he just you see him on the field i mean he's got the serious red ass i mean he is he is an intense competitor one thing about gore too is i think i said this before is he he was a little guy for most of high school and then he had a big growth spurt so he grew up pitching where he didn't have the big fast but he wasn't always the biggest kid and he had always had a good changeup, and he had a good slider and then he has like a growth spurt about five inches. Then he suddenly has something like ninety-five, and it's like whoa. <laughs> you know, it's, you see him in spring training. He was just filthy. I put this. I saw him in a game once in spring training, and they were kind of screwing around. Tatis gets up there and kind of wiggles his hips and smiles. At Gordon cracked a smile. And I was like, oh, I was but he, he he struck him out. I mean, he just. I mean, yeah, he, the thing he, about uh, Gordon. Is he is everything that Tatis is this year? I I'm not saying he would do it, but it would not surprise me. Gore could be the same way on the mound next. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very impressed with Tatis. I figured he would hit around 260, 270. Yeah, on like 330, 340. Um, and I mean, he's not going to hit 330. Like, I mean, but I mean, let's no. say he ends up hitting 290, 300. I mean, that's just, it's unbelievable what Tatis has done. Uh, the power numbers for Tatis, that, I expected kind of that, that part. And obviously the speed, I mean, you don't have to, you watch him once or twice, you're like, yeah, he's fucking fast. And his defense, you knew that would translate too. But I am impressed. Well, hold on, I mean, you and I and some other people knew his defense would translate. But <laughs> right, there were right, certain right. other dickheads who would tell me that go, uh, oh, no, he's not really a shortstop, you know? Yeah. Fuck you. I mean, the thing that pissed me off was my favorite line was by 
by his manager last year, Devil A. Phil Wellman, who I had to clean up this quote, was, I said, you know, i got to ask you this. I don't think so, but everybody always says, they all know if he can stick at shortstop. What do you think? <laughs> he said, well, they don't know what they're fucking talking about, do they? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> right. I know. I mean, I remember when I first watched him last year, because, I mean, I had seen, like, or I listened to the Fort Wayne games when he was down there, like, the year before. Right. And then last year, it was, like, almost must-watch for me. I, I didn't even care about watching the Padre game. I was more interested in watching that double-A team last year because yeah. they had so many, you know, prospects. And I watched him, like, five games or three or four. I'm like, who the fuck is saying he can't play shortstop? Or uh, it, it was just ridiculous. It, it, I so like when you know my friends or my brother would you know text me like how's he doing or whatever I'm like dude the guy's gonna be a shortstop don't worry about that that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard and they're like oh really I'm like yeah dude I'm like this guy's an athlete well no you gotta watch him play because I think the thing about him is he I don't know, I'm six three I mean he's a big dude he's six yeah. four two twenty and then you watch him you go my god he can move like that yeah he, he can move like that yeah I mean he he's more I always think he looks kind of like. An NBA point guard. That, yeah. That's what he looks like. Or a shooting guard would be better. Right, better. right. right but, yeah. Uh, yeah, six four, six five shooting guard that's, yeah. that's going to fill out as the years go on. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's only going to get stronger. And, I mean, I'm just so happy we got him. I mean, the Padres basically probably have the best young position player. And then next year, they might have the best young pitcher. I mean, I think yeah. because or the way... I don't know. He just looks so polished. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting him to be on the roster next year on opening day. You sound like Jim Callis. Whenever I talk to him, Jim Callis sounds like he wants to adopt McKenzie Gore. Because I, <laughs> Callis was a guy who, when the Padres yeah. had to pick, he was the one who said, no, Gore's the best player in the draft. Right. Period. Right. Now, Hunter Green is exciting and he's fun to watch, but I remember what Callis said. He said, you know, Gore throws nearly as hard and he's left-handed. And he's got much better breaking ball. He's got much better deception. He's got a change up. And the thing, too, I, I told you last year in D.C., I saw the features game. Hunter Green was throwing 102 miles an hour. And what's hard, what's difficult for people like you and me and maybe everybody else to imagine is these guys, if they see 102 minutes straight, they can turn on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't. You know, I couldn't when I was younger. I can't now. But these guys can't. And, right. Uh, and Tatis did in that um, Futures game last year. I mean, it was just a single, but he, I mean, totally turned on it to left field. And I'm like, Mackenzie Gore's throwing four pitches. Like, you know, like he's changing speeds. He's It's much harder to hit that. Yeah, Gore's 93, 95, but I'd much rather have a guy that can control it. He can oh, yeah. change speeds. It, 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 Gore's a pitcher. Uh, Green's a thrower. That basically is what it is. Um, let's move to... What was I going to say? I you had a question you were going to ask me. I think we talked about this before. And one of your viewers said about Michael Geddes. And I, I always end up going on these podcasts and I talk about Michael Geddes because as a baseball fan, he's just a lot of fun to watch. But uh, they asked yes. if I see him uh, in the future. And I think until he makes more consistent contact, no. Yeah. As much as I like Michael Geddes, yeah, I, don't, I just don't see it. Yeah, he's like he's like the good looking girl, like where you're like, I don't know, dude, I would still date her, but then you just find <laughs> out that just I don't know, there's something with you. Where you're just like, there's got to be a reason why no one's dating her or something, you know? 
That's well, the best think... line was by one of our writers was Ben Davies saw him a lot, and like Elstrom, he's there. He's, you know, he's the type of guy you watch for a three-game series on Friday. He'll steal, steal a couple bases, hit a home run, make a great play in the outfield. Yeah. And yeah. you know, this is the truth. And then Saturday and Sunday, he doesn't touch the ball. Right, Riddle. exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's I know what I mean. Yeah, a lot of talent. Oh, I'm sorry. Getty's no, 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 so no, much going. Keep going. Because, yeah, I, I exactly agree with you on Gettys. It's like, if you watch him a couple of days, you're like, oh, my God. That guy, he's tracking down balls. He's hitting home runs. He's stealing. Oh, yeah. But then you can watch him for a week, and you're like, he didn't touch a baseball. He looked like Will Myers out there. No, the fascinating thing is, like, I was just out in El Paso uh, two weeks ago, and I was telling, yeah, Gettys and Danny and I were talking, and I saw and was comparing Ty France to Michael Gettys. And I like Ty France. But if you're looking at those guys when they were 18, you're saying, there's no way I wouldn't take. Oh, um, yeah. Gettys. Yeah. And, and I watched Ty for the week the weekend I was there, played third and first. I mean, he made good plays. I think he might have swung and missed once. Hit the ball hard nearly every time. You know, Michael, I saw him strike out four times in one game. And I like Michael. <laughs> I, I really do. And, I mean, I just he, – he works his ass off. Everything's there except the hit tool. I hope he can change it around, but uh, right yeah. now I don't see it. Okay, the other guy I wanted to talk about is, is Munoz. Oh, yeah. But he got, he got him called up. And, you know, some people got to finally see him for the first time. I mean, his stuff obviously is electric. He throws 100, 101, 102, whatever you want. And then he drops that slider. I mean, at the 20 years old. The difference maker. He did oh, yeah. By the lap. Yes, at twenty years old, I mean, do you, what's what do you what do you think of him? Like, is that is that the future closer? Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's he's fucking pretty good. I know the walks are up, but he's twenty. He's just, he's just a baby. Yeah. I mean, that, I, yeah. I mean, it's like when we're talking about a lot of young players. I mean, you see the talents there, like you just said. I obviously agree with that. Then you just mentioned in the same breath, the walks can be a little high. I've seen him when he's lost his command. Um, the really frightening thing is to get the, for the opposition. When I interviewed Edwin Rodriguez, the manager, he said that he likes likes him a lot. He goes, "I think when he uses his backside, you're going to see a little bit more velocity." I said, "What? Oh he, my god!" He goes, "No, I think he can sit about 101 to 103 and then pump oh it up." Because he said, "Yeah, he goes, you watch him pitch. And Edwin's a bright guy." He said. Uh, you know, he goes, yeah, I think when he once he gets there, that's what he can do. Now, we'll see if he's right, but uh, the thing is kind of neat. In Amarillo at the beginning of the year, they were positive trying to make sure Munoz could go two innings. So yeah. They had to let him back. And I saw his first hit, and he loves talking about that. He was going, oh, I was up there, and I was just trying to hit the ball to right field. And the guy in the back room goes, you swung your eyes, and you hit something. I mean, come on, <laughs> let's be honest. Oh, God, you got a cleaner fryer joint. Jesus. Is it past your bedtime? What the fuck? Seriously. Seriously. I think he just woke up from a nap, so he's... You know, Don't he... wake Canna up at the home, too. Keep keep, yeah. keep both you guys going, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we were, I went to the game last night. I was with my brother and my uh, sister-in-law and my wife. And, I mean, Munoz came in, and it was just... You could just hear the pop, like, on the glove. Oh, yeah. Different, like uh, that. That kid's the first time pro- I saw him was in Fort Wayne, and he was throwing that hard. And I still remember the look of the guy who got out of the box. He goes, "This isn't supposed to be in the Midwest, like <laughs> no. I'm not supposed to be facing this stuff." And it was amazing what he was 
the great comment that someone said was he needs a slider because people are sitting on the fastball, and then he's in the same breath. But can you really sit on a 102-mile-per-hour fastball? <sighs> Maybe. I mean, it, it is straight, but when that slider is what makes it unfair. Oh, like, yeah. Guys can't turn around like we were just talking about Hunter Green, but, God, that's tough to see, too. That's a bit of a difference. Yeah. We love you, Leisure. Don't worry about it, dude. Um, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to have two pitches. You can't just throw one pitch and just throw 100 miles an hour. I mean, you'll give up bombs, you know. I mean, you right. might you might get a couple outs, and then, but then give up. That's the one thing as a reliever is do you not give up bombs, and then can you limit the walks? He gives up bomb or he gives up walks, but I don't feel like he gives up a lot of home runs. I don't know. Maybe this yeah. – every time I watch him, I haven't looked at his statistic. And then he strikes people out. If you're striking people out and you walk people, that's different than – if you're you're a contact pitcher, you know, I feel like because if you're striking people out, they ain't advancing on shit. So um, I think he's gonna be a good. When I saw him in El Paso, he was pretty impressive. I mean, I saw him give up a leadoff triple, then he hit the next batter, and then he just came up and he got the next two strikeouts, and then he got the third guy in a ground out. So he has. I mean, that's what they wanted to see. That's what you kind of want to see in the minors. You want to see a guy face some adversity and see how he can bounce back. Yeah, he's the Bull Durham uh, pitcher. He just You don't know where it's going, but shit. <laughs> it scares uh, the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I think that's all I got. I mean, can, okay, no, let's, finish, let's, let's finish off on Luis Urias because I know a lot right. of people, you know, are really high on him and then some people. I'm not as high as everyone else is. I feel like some of those home runs that he hits in AAA, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not getting out in Petco. Yeah. But, what, can you can you explain? I saw you I saw you in a tweet with someone the other day. That, oh, Padres fun. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that his approach is um, the Padres are telling him to use the leg kick or whatever, right? Or have the approach that he's having. The big thing, which was controversial, and this is kind of like we're going back to a little bit on Tatis, is that. That people love talking about how high the leg kick is or how much he has on it. And so when I asked Wellman in San Antonio, he said, no, no, the problem is not how high it is, it's directional because he likes the ball on the outside part of the plate. Uh-huh. He drives across and he cuts himself off. Then I asked Barajas and he said that. And then I asked uh, his manager last year. Then I asked um, Edwin this year. He goes, yeah, that's the main thing they're working with on here is getting a more consistent stride toward the pitcher and having more of the weight on his back. Like, that doesn't have to do with how high it is because he's always kind of been crazy on that. They're more worried about him just cutting off the inside part of the pit, the plate. So the part about – so I said when three of his managers, and actually Luis Reyes himself has said that to me, that's his biggest thing he's working on being square to the pitcher, I think it tends to be that, not how high his leg kick is. So – um, the biggest thing I think that I, that hurts him is the Padres signed Kinsler before they signed Machado. I think if they deal Kinsler, I think they'll have a Urias yeah. shot. The thing to kind of worry about a little bit is I think they're actually trying to go for the welfare. I think they got a shot. The, the word has to be is what happens if Urias comes up and struggles. And, I, you know, to me, I would roll the dice on that. I, I'd kind of like to see what you do or don't have. Um, but the thing that, that sent my buddy Danny off into a tailstorm is I said they have a lot of depth behind him. So it's not like if they trade Urias, they are um, they're gone. Yeah. If you traded, if, if you, we listened to our buddy 
LA and they traded uh, Tatis JT Rio Muto. But yeah, that, that's about as much as that discussion warrants, right? Can we just we'll just move on after that? <laughs> if he did, if he did that, like brother would have been fired two months ago. Like they would be like, okay, like Tatis yeah. is the best young player in baseball. Yeah, Ramudo's a good catcher or whatever, but I mean, you're fucking done, dude. Like, come on, man. Like, what did you do? Well, look I mean, at this. Eric's talking shit. We, we, you don't go on Eric's pod and talk shit. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Now let me holla at you, partner. Spit this game. Bring you here for a minute. All right, back for another Cash Medi podcast tonight we're going to be talking about the nfc north but before we get started let's get with the sponsor winning la jolla don't forget to visit la jolla chevron an extra mile convenience store at 7475 la jolla boulevard la jolla california all right i think this is gonna be one of the toughest divisions i think you could i think all four teams can actually win the division that might surprise some people I mean, I know I'm a Detroit Lions fan. People will say I'm a homer, but I'll get into it. Let's start with the – I mean, honestly, I think this division is going to be real tough to figure out who's going to win. Let's start with the defending NFC North champions, the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears over-under is set at nine, and I think there's a reason why the over-under is so low. They are bound to – uh, have a setback this year, in my opinion, because I think everything went right for them last year. I think they were very healthy. Uh, the turnover battle that they had last year, you can't expect to, them to get as many turnovers as they had. I know they have a really good defense, but they do lose Vic Fangio, who's one of the best defensive coordinators. He goes to Denver. I think that's a big loss, and no one's really talking about this offseason. But let's dive into the Chicago Bears. The offensive line's pretty good. Uh, the left tackle is maybe their weak spot in Charles Leno Jr. Cody Whitehart is a really good guard. They put James Daniels at center now. Kyle Long, good guard as long as he stays healthy. Bobby Massey, he's just okay. Um, the receiving court, they got some good receivers. Allen Robinson is a really good pickup that they had last year. They signed him. Uh, Taylor Gabriel is okay. Anthony Miller was a nice draft pick for them. They got uh, Ryle, Riley Ridley drafted in what round did they draft him? He's a pretty good receiver out of Georgia. They drafted him in the fourth round. So they got real good depth at the receiver position. Uh, they got two pretty good tight ends in Trey Burton and Adam Sheehan. Uh, I, as far as Mitch Trubisky goes, I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I think he's better. Well, I don't know if he's a good quarterback, but I think he's better than what the media thinks he is. Like, the media thinks he's a bum. I don't think he's a bum. I like their head coach. You know, uh, Matt Nagy, I think he dials up some really good plays. He seems to script the first 15 plays really well. And then after the first drive or two, I think defenses catch up on him. Uh, Trubisky's going to have to step it up, though, this year because you can't expect the defense to be as as good as it was last year. He's going to have to step it up. Trubisky's numbers last year, he threw 24 touchdowns, 12 picks. He only threw for 3,200 yards. He did, he did miss a couple games. Uh, but he could run, you know. He had 421 yards rushing last year and three touchdowns. So there is that extra weapon of his and his ability to run. Now he goes into the second year with Nagy in his offense. I think that's one of the reasons why Trubisky, you know, People like to jump on these quarterbacks right away and label them right away. I mean, the first year, 
you know, he had a different head coach. And then in this last year, he gets Nagy. So he's already learned two offenses. And this is the first time that he's coming back with the same offense. At the running back position, they lose Jordan Howard. But they draft David Montgomery from Iowa State. They drafted him in the third round. He'll get the bulk of the carries. And then Tariq Cohen will catch a lot of passes out of the backfield, get a few carries. I think Tariq Cohen's pretty good. Uh, Montgomery, studying him in college, I mean, he's good. He's physical. He got hurt, though, in college. So if you get hurt in college, I always feel like you're going to get hurt in the pros. If he gets hurt, I don't know how much depth they have at the running back positions because Cohen, he's too small to be your featured back. So that could be a problem. They had, like I said, last year they had no injuries. You're bound to get some injuries this year. Um, the defense is going to be stacked again this year, but it's going to be, do they have the same, you know, dialing it up? They don't have Vic Fangio anymore dialing up the defensive calls. So, Akeem Hicks, a defensive lineman, I think he's one of the most underrated defensive linemen in football, if not defensive players in football. I mean, a big-time stud, can get you the bull rush, pass rush, stuffs the run. Eddie Goldman, really good against the run. Bilal Nichols is probably a really improving player. Um, Jonathan Bowler's pretty good as well. So they got a lot of depth on the defensive line. The linebackers, they're stacked at the linebacker position. Probably the best linebacking core in football. You got Khalil Mack, one of the best defensive players. They traded, what did they trade? Two first-rounders and something else for him. Uh, he's, the, you know, he's the top five defensive player in football. You got uh, Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith developing into one of the best middle linebackers in football or should be developing in. Leonard Floyd, I thought was going to be a little bit better than what he's been. He, you know, he's kind of been a disappointment. You got 12 and a half sacks from Mack last year. Akeem Hicks got seven and a half. The secondaries, you know, you got some ball hawking secondary guys here. You got Kyle Fuller had seven picks last year. I think Eddie Jackson's one of the best safeties. I thought he was a steal when they got him out of Alabama a couple years ago. I think they got him in the fourth round, fourth or third. And the only reason why he went there, I think he tore his ACL at Alabama, but he, he probably was worthy of a first-round pick. Prince Akuma um, is pretty good. You know, he's okay, actually. Kevin Tolver is okay from LSU. Uh, Buster Scrine, he's all right. Uh, Deion Bush and HaHa Clinton Dix. I, I'm not a big HaHa fan. I I never really thought he was that good when he was on Green Bay. I he misses a lot of tackles. Um, I think they might miss Amos that they had last year. The defense, look, I think the defense is going to still be good, but I don't think it's going to dial up you know as many turnovers as it did last year. The schedule is brutal for the Bears. It's a brutal schedule. Everyone in this division has a brutal schedule. I mean, non-division games on the road, they play at Denver, at Washington. Obviously, those aren't that tough, but I'll explain why I think the at-Denver game is tough. You got at Philadelphia, at L.A. Rams as the other ones. Um, I think in week two, you could see an upset. I see. I could see Denver beating Chicago or at least covering the spread in week two because you got Nick Fangio at home. You got the Denver crowd. You got the altitude. Denver always plays much better in the altitude early in the season because teams aren't in the best shape. First two weeks when Denver has home games, they've covered, you know, I don't know what the statistics are exactly, but I know 
that a lot of gambling people bet Denver the first two weeks when they're at home because of the altitude and they have a tremendous percentage of covering on those games. Um, I just think Vic Fangio is going to know how to dial it up against Mitch Trubisky having two years of, you know, being the opposing or the defensive coordinator for Chicago. So I think he's just going to know his weaknesses. He's got all all season to prepare for that. It's an early game. He's going to have a nice game plan. Matt Nagy should be able to counteract it a little bit, but I just think Fangio is probably the better coach as far as schemes. And I I think Chicago Bears O-line, I don't think it's that good. I think Chubb and Vaughn Miller with the with the crowds going to give give them a lot of trouble. I mean, the schedule though for them is really brutal after the bye. After the bye, they they get New Orleans. Now it's at home, but they get the Chargers. They get New Orleans at home, the Chargers at home, at Philadelphia. They get Detroit at home and at the Rams. I mean, that's one, two, three, four out of five games where they're playing teams that were playoff teams the previous season. And the, you know, so, and they finished off the season with two of their three road games are at Green Bay. Then they play KC at home and at Minnesota. So those road games late in the season could decide this division. Vegas is telling you their over-unders at nine. They won 12 games last year. Vegas is seeing a decline. I'm seeing a decline in them. I just don't expect them to ball the bounce their way like it did last year with health and with turnovers. And I just don't think the quarterback's good enough to elevate the team or make them better. I mean, I think he's solid. Like, I don't think I don't think he's as bad as some media people make him out to be. Um, like uh, Lombardi. Lombardi thinks he's like the worst quarterback in the league. He's not. He's much better than that. Uh, I think he gets a benefit or he benefits from Matt Nagy calling plays. I think Matt Nagy's really good. I just don't know if Matt Nagy's a great head coach. I know he calls good plays, but he had Vic Fangio last year as his defensive coordinator, so he didn't really have to worry about the defense. Um, I see them as a 9-7 and seven type of team, maybe 8-8. Eight and eight. I, think the division, I think their schedule and the division is so tough. I could see them being 8. I mean... You know, you play the NFC East, you're at Philadelphia, you get Dallas at home, Washington and New York, who cares if it's on the road or at home, you should win those games. But, you know, you got, like I said, New Orleans and the Rams as your other games. I mean, that's, that's tough. I could, so I, I say they go, I say they go nine and seven or eight and eight this year. And I say they come. Either second and third, or second or third, uh, I, I probably a tie, and I'm gonna actually say they're gonna be a tie with the Detroit Lions. I know most people are gonna be like, "Well, you're just being a homer. You're a Lions fan. That's fine." Um, I think Detroit had a really good off season. I think Detroit can win eight or nine games this season. They're over under set at seven. I'm a little surprised that it's that low, but I think it's that low because of the division they're in. I think this division, like I said, I think anyone in this division can win the can win it. I wouldn't be shocked at all. Uh, let's start with Detroit and their offensive line. Offensive line for years. I've been a Lions fan since 1989. They've never had a good offensive line. Never, never have I seen them have a top 10 offensive line. I don't think they'll have a top 10 offensive line this year, but they could have a top 15 offensive line. I think Taylor Decker's. He's okay. Um, Graham Glasgow, the other, will play guard this year. He's okay. I mean, 
Decker has a chance to be better than just okay. He could be, you know, a top 15 left tackle. He drafted Frank Ragnow in the first round. He's He should be a really good center for them. They got Kenny Wiggins, and Rick Wagner is one of the better right tackles in football. He kind of got abused last year a little bit, but I would expect him to bounce back a little bit better than he did or perform than he did last year. Now, Matthew Stafford, he gets destroyed by the media and most of the fanboys, you know, and look, as an organization, they haven't won a, they've won one playoff game since 1957. And for some reason, Stafford, you know, gets all the blame for Detroit. He's been there for 10 years. They've been to the playoffs three times. I mean, the organization sucks. If it, if it was only Stafford being a Lions fan, if it was only Stafford that sucked and, oh, if we just got rid of the quarterback, we'd be a good team then that would just be an easy solution for this organization. But it's been a problem with drafting, you know, drafting receivers, a bunch of busts. I mean, they've had so many bust players, so many bad drafts. They've never had a good head coach. I like the coach now and Matt Patricia. He's changing the whole culture, becoming a physical team. I think Bob Quinn's drafting, you know, physical players. He's drafting O-linemen and D-linemen. They're emphasizing the O-line and D-line instead of skill players on the perimeter, receiver, running backs, and stuff like that. I think you win with O-line and D-line, and that's where they're going. As far as Stafford goes, I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's clutch in the fourth quarters. He has a terrible record against winning uh, teams that finish the season with a winning record, but he's had nine 100-yard rushers in his career, nine. And he's 8-1 and one in those games. They've never had a running game. They've never finished. They finished one season in his 10 seasons over 23rd in rushing, and that season they finished 17th. I mean, that's a joke. That's a complete and utter joke. No other quarterbacks ever had to go through that. They've had one defensive ranking in the top 10 as far as points per game. Actually, only one in the top 12 because one year they were ranked 13th. Uh, and in that season, they went 11 and five. So if you give him a defense, you know, and a halfway decent running game, he's gonna. I think he's gonna have success. Uh, you can't just. Well, he had Calvin Johnson. Everyone always says that he has a better record. He has better stats without Calvin Johnson. His quarterback rating's way better, and the team has a better record, winning percentage without Calvin Johnson. So the whole Calvin Johnson argument is stupid. Uh, they never had receivers around Calvin Johnson. They never had a running game. Javid Best. Got you know career-ending injury. That one really hurt him. And then you know they've never been able to draft other players and develop other players around him. Tight end position's been a joke for years. But I I like the team that they have this year because it's it's a lot more balanced. There's not I don't see really a weakness. Uh, I don't see too many strengths maybe, but I don't see too many weaknesses. The weakness I see is at the receiver position if, if one of the top three get hurt. And I'm expecting one of the top three to get hurt because two of them are a little bit older. Um, they go Kenny Galladay. I think Kenny Galladay is one of the up-and-coming receivers. I think he's always going to be a good fantasy pickup. I mean, last year he had he had 1,063 yards. He only had five touchdowns. But I would expect around eight touchdowns this year. I could see, you know, 11, 1,200 yards. I think he... He's primed to have a breakout season. Uh, Marvin Jones is coming back. They didn't have him last year for most of the season. He's a pretty good number two receiver, but he's getting up there in age. He doesn't separate, and I wouldn't be surprised if he, he gets hurt. 
Danny Amendola was a good slot receiver, but he's always hurt, so you can't really count on him. And that's going to be the problem with Detroit, is if one of those receivers gets hurt, they don't have any depth after that. And then teams can just focus on Kenny Galladay, and they don't have receivers that can separate, you know. And if that that's going to be the key to me for this season is if their receivers stay healthy, those three receivers are good enough with a running game and a defense that they're going to have this year that they'll be successful. But if one of those guys goes down, and most likely it will happen, Marvin Jones or Amendola, I think they're going to be in trouble. Um, the tight end position is should be much improved this year. You get they signed Jesse James, and then they drafted T.J. Hawkinson with the eighth pick in the draft. Hawkinson can block. He's almost like having an extra lineman. Uh, I could see a lot of two tight end sets where you got to pick your poison. If you're going to be in nickel, the lines are going to run. If you're going to be in base set, um, then they're going to try to throw to Hawkinson and and Jesse James in those formations. They're going to be a running football team with a you know a totally new mindset. Matt Patricia started doing that when he came over here, over to Detroit. But he had a boneheaded offensive coordinator last year. This year he gets Daryl Bevel, who likes to run the football. He was from, you know, Seattle. All those years at Seattle was running the football behind Marshawn Lynch. So you get on Johnson. on Johnson's a stud. Uh, I would draft him in fantasy pretty high. The only concern on him is he got hurt last year. But he averaged 5.4 yards of carry last year, and the offensive line wasn't even that good. 5.4 yards of carry is a lot, man. So you know he's a really good running back. If he could stay healthy, I could see 12, 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns from him. I think he's a good pickup for fantasy. I would not draft Matthew Stafford high in fantasy at all. Don't expect him to be chucking the ball around like he's been doing his entire career. Um, they're going to be a much more balanced team. They're going to try to play off the running game, do play-action passing. I could see Stafford you know, maybe having 25 touchdowns and close to 4,000 yards or 3,800 yards, but he is not going to be throwing for 4,500 yards anymore plus and throwing 30 touchdowns. I could see 22 to 27 the range, 27 being the high, 22 being the low maybe on his touchdown passes, but somewhere in that range. Um, I'm really excited for the defense, especially the defensive line. They signed Mike Daniels, you know, less than two weeks ago. I thought that was a great pickup for them. They should have the best run defensive team in football. Now, because they're the Detroit Lions and they're my favorite team, they probably won't, but they should have the best defensive uh, team against the run. You're talking about Damian Harris, Sean Robinson in the middle, plus Mike Daniels, you know. I mean, you just can rotate those three guys. Those guys all stuff the run. And Deshaun Hand. Deshaun Hand was one of the best draft picks in the fourth round last year. Um, he really came on. He was a huge surprise for me. I, I mean, I watched him at Alabama. He didn't impress me that much, but he was really good. He could give you a pass rush inside. He could stuff the run when they put him, you know, as a defensive end. Um, they signed Trey Flowers. They probably overspent for him, but he's a really good defensive lineman. Stuffs the run, sets the edge. One of the best graded out, you know, run defenders. Damian Harris is probably, go back to Damian Harris, is probably the best interior run defender in all football. Ashawn Robinson, again, I mean, they got studs on the defensive line. Romeo Okore, 
They got him from the Giants, just off the street, basically. He had a really nice season, seven and a half sacks. He sets the edge. The linebacking position, I think Jared Davis is going to have a breakout season. He's going to have all these run-stuffing defensive linemen taking on blocks, and he's going to be flying around the football. Last year, Davis had, I think, six sacks just blitzing. I mean, I don't, he's not like a pass-rushing Linebacker, he's not coming off the edge, but the way he blitzes inside and he's so fast, I could see him getting around eight sacks this year. He had six last year. There's gonna be, he's just gonna be roaming. No one's gonna be touching him. He's gonna be like Ray Lewis was. Not that he's Ray Lewis, the defensive, you know, as good as him or anything close to him, but when Ray Lewis shined in Baltimore, he had, you know, Adams and um, I forget what the other guy's name, uh, the guy from the Colts, Siragusa. I mean, those guys would take on the blocks, and then you just freeing up a, a fast linebacker like Ray Lewis. Jared Davis could run, man, and he's going to have a huge year, I think. Devin Kennard's really good, you know, setting the edge. Outside linebacker uh, mixes in a pass rush. I think he had seven sacks last year. That, that right there, their front seven, um, Christian Jones, he's a weak part of their linebacking core. They drafted... Jahil Devai in the second round, they love him. I don't know much about him. They absolutely love him. He should, if he's good, like they, they think he's going to be, then they're going to have a really good front seven, one of the best front sevens in football. I think people will be surprised to hear that. They'll probably just say you're just a homer, but go look at Pro Football Focus, his grades. I mean, I don't take everything into Pro Football Focus, but, you know, uh, the front seven is going to be really good. They're going to stuff the run. Matt Patricia should have this defense as a top 10 defense. Darius Slay's one of the top 10 corners in football. He's a really good corner. They get Justin Coleman. Sign him from Seattle. One of the best slot corners. The outside corner position could be a trouble for them. They like uh, Rasheen Melvin. Um, Tez Tamir. They still have him. We'll see how he plays. He's been a bust so far as a second rounder. The safeties, I like him a lot. Quandre Diggs is one of the best safeties in football that no one talks about. I think Tracy Walker, they got him in the third round. I think he was going to be a breakout player. I mean, he's really good. So, I like the direction the, the Lions are going. They have a brutal schedule, especially to start the season. I mean, it's really brutal. They could they could get knocked out of, knocked out of the playoffs after the first six weeks. I mean, you play at Arizona, they got to win that game. If they lose that game, they're in trouble. Just right out the bat, they're in trouble. Because then they get the Chargers at home. They go at Philadelphia, KC at home. They get a bye at Green Bay and Minnesota at home. So you're playing one, two, three. Well, three teams that made the playoffs and then two teams that are in your division that everyone thinks is better than you. Um, if they could go two and four in that first six, I think they could survive. Because then they play the Giants at Oakland at Chicago, Dallas at home, at Washington, Chicago again, at Minnesota, Tampa Bay. I mean, the schedule gets a lot easier after that first six. The key is going to be to go at least two and four, hopefully three and three. If they go three and three, they'll probably – I think they'll make the playoffs if they could go three and three in those first six. Um, I see them as an eight or nine win team, but I wouldn't be shocked if they win ten if they stay healthy. I know a lot of people will be like, you're crazy – I just love the offseason that they had. I love the culture. 
is changing. I think Matt Patricia, I don't know why the media thinks he sucks. I think he's got that defense playing much better. Than, at the end of the season, it started stuff in the run when they, once they signed, or traded for Damian Harris. You added Mike Daniels. You get another year of Deshaun Hand. You get another year of Ashawn Robinson and Jared Davis. That front seven is going to stuff people. You're going to have to throw consistently against the Lions. I don't see anyone running the ball against them. So you're just going to have to throw, throw, throw against them. And when you're just one-dimensional against a coach that can dial it up, that's what he wants. He wants you to be one-dimensional. So I think they got pretty good depth. Going back to the – I, I kind of messed up a little bit. Going back to the running game, I think on Johnson's, you know, going to have a nice season. And then they got C.J. Anderson as well. They like Ty Johnson that they drafted from Maryland. He could be a third down back for them. They have a lot of speed. Um, like I said, I just like their depth. I think they've had pretty good drafts. They had a really good draft last year. And if, and if this year's draft is what they think it's going to be, then I think they're going to be a really good team. So I'll predict them to go 9-7. and seven. I'll predict the Bears to go 9-7. and seven. So I predict them to be tied for second and third, however you want to say it. I think, I think the Bears and Lions will be fighting for wild cards. I think Green Bay, switching over to the Green Bay Packers. Um, the Green Bay Packers, the key, I think they have a lot of question marks. I know everyone thinks they're bouncing back this year. I personally don't. Um, and the reason why I don't is I don't like their coach. I don't, I don't, I don't really know anything on him. I just, he didn't impress me over at Tennessee, Matt LaFour. The one thing is Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be motivated like a motherfucker this year because he basically got rid of Mike McCarthy, and I always thought Mike McCarthy was holding the Packers back. I mean, I watched a lot of Packer games, you know, being a Lions fan all these years. You pay attention to the teams in your division the most. I think Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen play football. Um, I don't know if he's as, you know, what he was a couple years ago. He's kind of had some down years. He did throw 25 touchdowns and only two interceptions last year, but it still wasn't the same. I mean, only throwing two interceptions is crazy, but it just wasn't the same as it's been, you know, a couple years ago. Let's start with the offensive line, though. Um, David Bertarty is one of the best left tackles. Lane Taylor's pretty good. Lindsey, Bill Taylor, Balaga. I mean, the old line, it's okay. I mean, it's all right, especially on the left side's really good. But it's it's not like what it used to be in the Packers' heyday when Favre and, you know, the beginning or when Rodgers had it cooking. The old line was better than that. Uh, the receiver position, Devontae Adams, one of the best receivers in the league. He gets a lot of separation. Really good receiver. He gets separation, route runner. He could go up and get the ball. I mean, his numbers last year, he had a 13, almost 1,400 yards, 1,386 and 13 touchdowns. I don't see any drop-off this year. Geronimo Allison, he's got a lot of talent, but he's young. And then Scantling, another talented receiver, but they're all young. They're really young. You know, St. Brown, another receiver. They got some young receivers. They got some, you know, Jamon Moore. Uh, that could be a sleeper guy. I mean, Rodgers is going to throw the ball this year. I mean, I think he's going to be motivated. He's probably going to have a good year. Like I was saying, though, on Matt LaFleur, I just he didn't do much in Tennessee's offense. So, And it's a first-time head coach. I just – it feels like he wasn't qualified for the job. I, that's 
If I was a Packer fan, I'd be very concerned about that. You would figure that with Rodgers, you could figure you could get a more qualified head coach. When you get a head coach that it took him almost the entire season to finally give the ball to his best offensive player, I just that would be a huge concern in my opinion. Tight end Jimmy Graham, he did not look good last year. He looked old. Aaron Jones, everyone loves him for fantasy football. Um, I think he's, he's a really good running back. I mean, he averaged 5.5 yards a carry. I mean, the guy's a really good running back. He just seems like he's always hurt or he kind of fumbles. Um, he had eight touchdowns last year. If they can run the ball, then the offense is going to have a lot more success. If they're just throwing, throwing, then he's going to get sacked. He holds on to the ball, then they're going to have some trouble. But they have balance, and they want Rodgers to throw for around 275 yards and be able to rush the ball for 130 and have balance that way, then they're going to be good. But if Rodgers is throwing for 350 and they're only running for you know 75 yards a game, then they're, they're going to struggle this season. The defense is supposed to be a lot better this year. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a lot better. I love Kenny Clark. I think he's really good. I think losing Mike Daniels hurts. I know some people just think, oh, whatever, it's not that big of a deal to put Rashawn Gary – it was the 12th pick of the draft. They just replaced him with him. Gary has a lot of talent. But, I mean, he never really produced at Michigan. You got to put up better numbers than what he did. You got to make more plays. I mean, you see the talent, the explosion. He'll make some crazy plays, but you just, where's the consistency from him? So, asking a rookie to come in and just be a... You know, a huge impact. I, I just feel like Rashawn Gary is going to take him time. And he always felt like he had some nagging injuries at Michigan. And I just feel like that's going to – I'd be worried if I was a Packer fan on that draft pick. Um, Dean Lowry, he's okay. Uh, they got the two outside linebackers that he spent in the offseason, Darius Smith and Preston Smith. They just seem like – be pass rushers to me, which is an improvement from what they had last year, but Blake Martinez is pretty good um, inside linebacker. Kyle Frackerel, he had like 10 sacks last year, I think. Yeah, he had 10 sacks. I mean, he could give him a little bit of a pass rush there, too. Um, the secondary should be pretty good. I mean, it actually has a chance to be really good. I think Jahir Alexander was as long as he could stay healthy he got again it seems like they're gambling on their picks he got hurt at Louisville and a lot and so he kind of slipped in the draft a little bit like because he he's he can cover I mean he's really good so if he could stay healthy that would be huge for them I think he could be you know a number one corner they got Traymond Williams. He's okay, but I think the other guys are probably going to be better. Josh Jackson seems like he's an inside corner. I think he can excel as an inside corner, slot corner. And then Kevin King, he's got to step it up this year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he did, though. They get Amos. I think Amos is better than HaHa, you know, Clinton Dick, Knicks. I mean, that I, that's a big improvement. And they, they're, they're raving about Darnell Savage they got from in the draft. Out of Maryland, right? Yeah, I think he went to Maryland. Yeah, they got him in the late first round. So we'll see how he plays. Josh Jones is still there uh, from NC State. But, I mean, I just – I they got their over-under at nine. I don't know why it's so high. I mean, I don't see 
I don't see the talent really there. I mean, look, you got one of the best quarterbacks. He, he hasn't played the same. He's kind of had some injuries. That's the thing. I, th- I feel like he's been beat up a little bit. I feel like he's not the same quarterback that he was three years ago. If he gets back to being the same quarterback he was a couple years ago and, and basically the best player in the league, then I think the Packers can win nine, ten games easily. Not easily. I mean, the schedule's tough, but then they're probably then they they have a shot at winning the playoff or winning the division. But if he's the quarterback that he's been the last two years, kind of nicked up or or injured and misses some games, then I think they're going to be a six or seven seven and nine, eight and eight type of team. And I think it's a huge question mark with the head coach. You know, he's got no experience. Rodgers, you know, is going to be motivated. He's probably going to play his ass off, but. You got no experience as the head coach. I don't know where the leadership's going to come, you know, in that sense. It just feels like it's a gamble, and they got some injury-prone players that they're going to need because if I feel like if Aaron Jones goes down, I mean, Jamal Williams is okay as a backup running back, but he ain't Aaron Jones. Um, in the secondary, if Jahir Alexander gets hurt, I feel like that defense is going to be in trouble. Because I think he's that he's that good of a player, and he's had injury concerns. I'm not just you know you don't just say well if that guy gets hurt then you know, and Rodgers too. Rodgers has been hurt the last couple of years, so I think the Packers are going to come in last. But they're at excuse me they're at seven and nine. I would pro- project them. But like I said, if Rodgers is Rodgers and he's the plays like the MVP type of Rodgers he did a couple years ago then I think they could be a playoff team and maybe even win the division. Uh, as far as their draft goes, Rashawn Gary, you know, he's got a lot of talent. I just think it's going to take him time. I think by year maybe three, maybe he's he's a real impact player. I did like the Jay Sternerberger, the tight end they drafted in the third round. I think that's one of the steals. I mean, that guy's going to be really good. That guy, that guy will be good, but tight ends, it takes him a while. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I like the Minnesota Vikings this year. I like them a lot. Going back on Green Bay, let's let's before I go to the Vikings, let's see how their schedule is. I mean, this schedule is brutal, dude. I mean, look at this. Look at this just to start the season. They go at Chicago, get Minnesota at home, they get Denver at home, they get Philadelphia at home. They're probably going two and two in the first four. Then they're at Dallas. They get Detroit at home. Oakland at home, that's fine. At KC, at the Chargers. Actually, at the Chargers, is, is that's going to be like a home game. You know the Packers will sell that out. Um, the end of the schedule is pretty easy, I mean, for them. They go at San Francisco, at the Giants. They get Washington at home, Chicago at home. And then they, they end this season with two road games for the division. That's pretty tough. You go at Minnesota on a Monday night and then a short week at Detroit. Um, I would I would definitely lean the under on them. I don't see them winning 10 games this year unless Rodgers is playing at an MVP level. And LaFleur is better than what I think he's going to be. So I would definitely lean the under on them. I think people are way too high on them. I think they just think just because they're the Packers that it's the same old Packers. I, I just They're on the decline in my opinion. Um, let me see. What has their record been the last couple of years? I usually show that. Oh, okay. So they, 
I mean, the last two years, they've won seven games and six games. They've won 13 games the last two seasons. I just don't think that they're the team that they were 2014 where they won 12, 2015 and 16, they won 10 apiece. I just don't feel like they're that team anymore. I don't feel like they're that organization anymore. All right, let's go to the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings over-unders at nine. If you notice that Vegas, none of the teams in the division have an over-under higher than nine. So I think the division's all up for grabs. I think the Vikings are actually going to win the division. I can see them being a 10-win team. I think Kirk Cousins is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the league. He gets a bad rap because, you know, he doesn't have a playoff win or – you know, but I just think he was in a bad situation in Washington. That's just a piss poor run organization. Didn't have much players around him. Now he comes to Minnesota. They, the team goes thirteen and three, and then last year, last year what they finish? Um, they don't make the playoffs, so you know everyone blamed him for it. Well, they went eight games last year. I think they went eight seven and one. But I mean, he had he had good numbers. I mean, they just the old line kind of sucked, and and they couldn't really run the ball last year. So, I mean, if if Kirk Cousins has another season, they don't make the playoffs with this roster, then yeah, I think that'd be more of an indictment on him that he's he's not clutch and he's not that good. But I think they're gonna have a good season. Their their biggest weakness to me. That I see is their offensive line. Let's start there. Riley Reef used to play on Detroit. He's just an okay left tackle. He's probably at the end of his career too. So, I mean, that's probably a concern. Pat Afline as a guard, that's that's nice. And they, they drafted Garrett Bradbury in the first round to play center. Josh Klein's okay. Brian O'Neill is the other tackle. I mean, there's concerns there on the offensive line for sure. You got two stud receivers. One of the best duos of receivers in Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Both of them get huge separation, especially Thielen. I mean, he's one of the best route runners. Diggs can go deep. I was really shocked to see Diggs' numbers. He only averaged 10, 10 yards a catch. Um, but he did have 1,000 yards and he had nine touchdowns. Thielen had 1,300 yards, 1,373 yards and nine touchdowns. Cousins... Threw for close to 4,300 yards and 30 touchdowns. Only 10 picks. But he did fumble the ball a few times too. I think the reason why I really like the Vikings this year is they got Kubiak as an assistant. He's not necessarily considered the offensive coordinator, but he's considered the assistant head coach, offensive advisor. I think Gary Kubiak's one of the better play callers. And... I think the way that he calls plays and those stretch run plays is going to be really nice for Dalvin Cook. Their whole season could come down if Dalvin Cook's going to, you know, be healthy. He's always hurt. He was hurt in college. He's gotten hurt in the pros. But if he could stay healthy, I could see Dalvin Cook running for, you know, 1,400 yards and getting double-digit touchdowns. I mean, the kid's a stud, you know. So I would kind of draft him. High in fantasy, but you got the concerns on the injuries. Maybe you, you know, back it up with Alexander Madison, the rookie running back. Um, the tight end position, Kyle Rudolph, he's still okay. I don't think he's as good as people think he is. He doesn't really separate like a route runner like he used to be. I liked Irv Smith. They drafted him, Irv Smith Jr. What round did they get him in? They got him in the second round. I thought he was a really nice pickup for them. He's a really good tight end from Alabama. 
Um, I think the offense is going to be better this year because of Kubiak. I think that's the, the main reason why I like the Vikings this year is Kubiak's going to make Kirk Cousins better. I think he's going to make Dalvin Cook better. They're going to run a lot of play action with Diggs, Thielen. I mean, they got they got a they got enough talent to be a really good offense, to be a top ten offense, and they should be a top ten defense. Their coach is really good. Uh, Zimmer, Mike Zimmer's really good head coach, defensive minded. Daniel Hunter, one of the best. Let's start with the defensive line. One of the best pass rushers in football. How many sacks did Hunter have last year? Did he have like fourteen? He had 14 and a half sacks. He's still real young. I wouldn't be surprised he gets another 15. Um, Linville Joseph, one of the better run stuffing inside defensive linemen. They lose uh, Richardson, but they, you know, you could run on Minnesota up the middle. Everson Griffin, who knows what they're going to get out of him this year. He was an elite defensive end a couple years ago. He had some. Uh, I don't know, mental issues, I guess. He hasn't necessarily been the same player. If they could get him to come back and be the player he was a couple years ago, that'd be huge for them. Their linebacking core is pretty good. You got Gidon and Kendricks and Anthony Barr. Kendricks and Anthony Barr are really good. The secondary should be really good this year. They got a lot of depth there. Xavier Rhodes, he's kind of... Maybe not as good as he used to be a couple years ago. Trey Waynes, I believe, is a free agent, so he's probably going to be in really good shape. Mike Hughes was really good before he got hurt. Harrison Smith, still one of the better safeties in the league. Anthony Harris is okay. Javon Curse or J. Ron Curse, you know, pretty good safety backup. So they got some depth there. Like I said, they got Mike Hughes, so they got three good corners. Um, I think that I think the Vikings are a ten and six type of team. I think it could. Possibly be in an NFC Championship type of game. Again, their schedule's brutal too. I mean, everyone in the division, the schedules are brutal. They start off with Atlanta, then they go at Green Bay. I mean, the non-division, non-division games for the road are at Kansas City, at Dallas, at Seattle, at the Chargers. I mean, those are some brutal games, dude. Uh, the other one is at the Giants. I mean, that's that's not too bad. But I think I think the Vikings end up ten and six. I think they end up winning this division. I think only one team, because they're going to beat up each other. I think only one team's going to make the playoffs. I think Chicago and Detroit will be fighting for a wild card, but probably come up short just because everyone in the division kinds of beats them up. So that's all I got for the NFC North. And all we'll do NFC West and South should be coming up pretty soon. All right, then. Good night now.